On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. Today we continue this installment of the E-Series with Exploring Our Community, Identifying Health Disparities a conversation between CEO of Hospice of the Piedmont, Trent Cockrum, and Giselle Monsi, director of the YWCA Latino Family Center. Let's get started. Trent joined Hospice of the Piedmont in 2013 as the organization's third CEO since its founding in 1981. He has 25 years in healthcare leadership. Most recently, he led the organization in navigating a successful merger with Hospice of Randolph. Thanks for being with us again today, Trent. My pleasure, Ryan. Giselle Monsi serves as the director of the YWCA's Latino Family Center. In this role, her goal is to guide and serve the Latino community in order to build bridges of understanding between racial and cultural divides. Additionally, she works to find common ground between other communities in order to strengthen the city to which she has called home for the past 15 years. As an immigrant herself, she understands the needs and challenges of the Latino community. Giselle has served in the Latino community in many capacities and finds joy in educating the community with resources and skills to be able to better help themselves. Thank you, Giselle, for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Ryan. Without any further ado, I hand the discussion over to you, Trent. Perfect, thank you, Ryan. Giselle. It's such a great pleasure to be with you today, and thank you for joining me as my guest um, for this installment of the E-Series. You know, I think I'd like to begin with just a really broad statement that may be helpful inform where our conversation goes. Uh, You know, the Latino population makes up the largest and fastest growing minority group in the country. So I think this conversation couldn't be more timely with us today. So I appreciate your joining me. I'd be remiss, however, if we didn't begin our conversation with giving you an opportunity to tell our viewers and listeners a little bit about what the Latino Service Center does and what its purpose is. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, Trent, first of all, thank you for having me, um, for being here with you and having this conversation and for allowing me to share just a a little bit of my community um, and, and just a little bit of what we do. Um, as Ryan shared earlier, um, our Latino Center is, I kind of like to call it a little bit of a, of a Google hub, if you will. Um, we're here, we're located in High Point. Um, and my number one goal is to help uh, the Latino community with resources. Um, and now I tell people that I kind of serve a, a the Latino population, but I like to break it down into three different groups. Um, because I serve the youth. Um, I have, you know, children that were migrating, that migrated here, or even first gen, second gen. Um, I also have my Latino immigrant community, but then I also have my Latino professional community. Um, And between the three, um, we, I mean, I help everybody, but my main thing is I want to make sure that my Latino immigrant um, community gets the help um, and the things, the resources that they're looking for, that they're needing, that perhaps they don't know how to navigate. Um, but then I also want to bridge, you know, the Latino professional um, in making sure that, you know, because a lot of them are either, you know, they were immigrants themselves, you know, they, they were able to kind of 
break every barrier um, and now have a career. And so now bringing them back and, you know, just helping others to do the same. Um, and obviously with my youth, um, leading them and guiding them through their, you know, middle school, high school uh, journey and making sure that, you know, we can look into college options, community college, career, entrepreneurship, whatever the case may be, guiding them in that process. Um, because a lot of, many of those, uh, those um, kids don't have, the parents don't know, don't have the resources um, and don't know how to navigate that part. Um, and so in, at, you know, at the, at the YWCA, you know, the Latino Family Center, um, we, we take care of a range of different things. So we're there for the community. Um, and my job is to make sure that the resources are out there um, in the language, um, but that they're also accessible. Sure. I'm, I'm really struck by how you divide up your, your, your population of, of folks. You've got your youth, you've got your immigrants, and you've got your, uh, your Latino professionals. And, you know, I think there are a lot of people who might have this really um, stereotypical thought that, um, that the entire Latino population is made up of sort of day laborers, right? And that's simply not true. I mean, that's part of what we're doing here today is sort of shedding a light on um, who the Latino community is. But then, you know, further on in our discussion, we'll have some conversation, more in-depth conversation about how health disparities actually affect them. So, I mean, that's really an interesting way that you sort of, um, that you sort of group the constituencies that you, that you serve. And I suspect that they all have a shared experience, although each of them may have different needs. Is that fair? Yes. I mean, we, we all have this collective shared belief experience, um, but the needs are very different, right? Um, when it comes to my, and, and I'm gonna just kind of focus a little bit on my Latino immigrant and my Latino professional, right? Um, I consider myself the Latino professional, right? I came in, I was an immigrant. I came in, didn't know the language. You know, I came in as a, as a child, um, grew up, had many barriers, many challenges, right? But I had to break through and fight through and, and make my, my way up, right, if you will. Um, and so I consider myself, you know, that part of the group. However, it doesn't mean that I don't relate to the immigrant community, right? Because I am an, an immigrant. My parents came here as immigrants, right? Um, and the needs of a, of a newly arrived immigrant are gonna be very different from one of the, of the Latino professional, right? And when I say Latino professional, it doesn't mean that they went to school and they have a degree. It could be that they have their own business or you know whatever the case may be, they made a name for themselves. But then likewise with the Latino immigrant, you, know, you may be newly arrived and there's various levels or categories, right? You, you may have the undocumented, immigrant, you might have the documented immigrant, but within that, right, you can have people that have still their own business or their own, you know, ideas or what, that they're trying to better themselves, right, um, and so I think every group, every category, we all have, like, the shared experience of, you know, making sure that we know the language, that we're learning the language, or, like, navigating the culture, the, you know, the area that you're in, right, North Carolina is very different, I grew up in Florida, Right. Very different. I grew up in Miami and very different, right? right. And so, and the, the collective population too, like in Miami, it's a melting pot and we have people from everywhere, right? And, and then if you go a little bit more up north here in North Carolina, our main population is probably um, from Mexico, right? Mm -hmm. So even when you start looking at where you're from individually from your country, that varies in how you deal with things. Wow. Fascinating. You know, so our conversation today is really going to be centered around health. 
And there was an interesting article that uh, was published in just in this week's New York Times. Um, and the headline read something to the effect of uh, what happens when people stop going to the doctor for a year. And then this, the, the, the subtext of that was we're about to find out. You know, 43% of preventative medicine uh, visits were, were canceled in this last year. Obviously, we were coming off of a year of a pandemic or an ongoing pandemic. Um, and, and nearly two-thirds of preventative health screenings, mammographies, uh, colonoscopies, and cervical cancer screenings were canceled um, all in the last 12 months. And, and more interestingly about that, however, is that the excess death rate um, among the Latino population. So the, the, the number of the percentage of the Latino population that actually died, which is greater than what we expected, was 44.1%. It was 18 point, about 18% for African-American population, but 44.1%. Um, and so let's sort of talk a little bit about sort of barriers to healthcare and how um, the Latino population, which is a minority population, but a fast growing minority population who have really varying needs, mm -hmm. how they navigate um, a healthcare system and what are their needs and what's common among them, even your, for your youth, your, your immigrants, and then you've got your Latino professionals. I suspect they have a shared experience. Correct. Um, and just to kind of, you know, share a little bit on like the statistics, um, you know, right now, I think I read somewhere that we are one in six here in the United States. Um, but they said that by 2050, we're going to be, we're projected to be one in four. So we're going to be 25% of the population in the United States, which is huge, right? Mm -hmm. But you just share a death rate, uh, a death rate, right? 44 Point one was it percent, which is alarming. Like you know, and I'm I'm wondering, you know, is that COVID related or you know what you know what that what the number represents? But regardless, it's alarming because we need to talk about well, what's going on? Why is our death rate so high, and what are we facing? So one of the things that I tell people, one, you know, just talking about. The, the immediate ones, right? We have educational barriers. Um, we have language barriers. Mm -hmm. We have working barriers, right? Um, and then the number one is accessibility. Um, and when I say working barriers, right? We're all working. Like your Latino population, we're, we're gonna be working construction or in the fields or like, you know, like typically that's what you hear on TV, right? Mm -hmm. um, we're going to be doing that hard manual labor. And typically a lot of those jobs don't come with benefits. Mm -hmm. They don't give you health care that you don't have these things that you suspect that your job is going to offer you. Right. Um, compared to somebody that maybe works in an office or in a corporation where you do have the health care or whatever. Um, and so that, that, that is one limitation, right? Language. Can you communicate? Right. Can you share? what's going on. And then accessibility, is it accessible in, in our own language? You know, if we finally decide to go to the doctor, are we gonna be able to communicate, right? Um, but then as a collective, right? Um, there's also this, I wanna say not a cloud or like this vague idea that going to the doctor is a need 
that it's almost luxurious if you talk if oh. if if we talk about it, right? Um, for example, if you are uninsured, right, you're not gonna go to the doctor to do preventative checks. Mm-hmm. You're just gonna let it sit and sit and sit until something is really wrong. And sometimes until you wait that it's something is really is really wrong, it's too late. Like now, like what could have been prevented, you didn't. So now we're we're running, you know, and we have all these issues. And now our bill is gonna be ginormous, right? Like you think about if you go to the emergency room or you go to the doctor, now you know you're gonna get a bill that's gonna be five, six, seven thousand dollars. And if you all of a sudden the doctor tells you you have to have surgery, you have to sit out, you can't go to work, and you're the main person that needs to provide for that family, you're thinking, no, I can't. I have to go to work. You know, so, and I can't have the decision of do I pay my medical bill or do I pay my bills? Sure. Right. Um, and so it's, it's one of those things where it's like really, it's, it's very complex to navigate. Right. But then, you know, I, this, and I'm just going to share like my experience. Sure. Quickly. Right. Um, when I was a kid, when I was a child, um, you know, we migrated. I'm originally from Argentina. Uh, we moved to Miami, Florida. My parents, you know, they're like, you know, we want to give you guys a better future. So we're doing this, right? Um, and I remember growing up, um, we decided to, we had to go to the doctor. Um, but I remember my parents telling me when you go to the doctor, right? If they ask you, how is your health? You know, do you have, you know, X, Y, and Z? No, I feel great. Do you have this? No, I feel great. Make sure that you answer that everything is great, that everything is, is going well, right? So I grew up, if I had to go to the doctor, I grew up going, sitting down and saying, you know, do you have headaches? No, I feel great, right? Do you, does your stomach hurt? No, I feel great. And maybe it was hurting, but I had to say that everything was great, right? Because we could not afford to have, you know, like follow-up checkups or buy the medicine or whatever it was, right? So I grew up like this. So then I, you know, I, become independent, do my life, go to the doctor for the very first time as an adult, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember I, I made up an appointment because I, I, I needed something, but I didn't know how to express it. So I go to the doctor, you know, and they're like, oh, so hi, Giselle, how are you? You know, I'm doing well, you know, and they're like, okay, so we're going to go through, you know, the initial checklist that they do. And they're like, oh, so do you, you know, smoke? No, do you drink? No. Well, do you have, you know, migraines? No. Do you have this? No. You know, well, you know, you, you, whatever. They asked me all these questions and I'm like, oh, I, I'm good. I'm good. I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. And finally the doctor is like, so why are you here? <laughs> and I'm like, and in my head, I'm like, well, I have issues. Like I'm going through issues, but I couldn't communicate it. Right. And so I kind of said that, right. Like, I'm like, well, you know, I'm going through this, but I, I just gave them like three words and they were like, so this is what you need to tell me. And finally, when I opened up, I almost felt like I violated some kind of trust between my parents and I, like all of a sudden, like they, I felt vulnerable. Like, I'm like, who are you? Like all of a sudden now you're looking into me and you're asking me more questions. And I'm like, oh, I was not ready for this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I ha- it was a huge mind shift, cultural phenomenon for me where I, I went from like growing up saying like, everything is fine, everything is fine. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, but I have more. I have migraines or I have this, or is this normal? All of a sudden, like I just bombarded the doctor with all these questions. And he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. One at a time. Right. Um, but you know, and I, I, I thought I was the only one. Well, then I saw the same idea later on. I worked as an interpreter at one point 
And I saw people doing the same thing. Like they were at the doctor because, you know, they were, they got hurt or, you know, whatever the case it, it was. And, you know, they would sit with me and they will be like, oh yeah, my, you know, I broke my arm um, and I had to have like 10 stitches and I have a rod and it's been painful and it bothers me. And at nighttime, I can't sleep. The doctor walks in. So Mr. So-and-so, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, wait, you just told me that it hurts at nighttime, right? And so I don't wanna violate that trust with the patient. So I'm just translating back and forth. And finally I told the doctor, I'm like, would you give me just a minute? Like, I, let me, I have a conversation. And so I'm telling, you know, my patient, like, you really need to share what's going on, right? But their response was, but I don't have insurance. And if I share this, it's just gonna be more appointments. And that means that I have to take off of work. And that means that it's gonna be another bill. And it means that it's just, you know, all these different barriers. And so at that point, I'm like, your health is first. If you cannot take care of your health, you won't be able to work. You're not gonna be able to provide for your family. So you need to share what really is going on. And once they were able to see that, you know, and trust the fact, right? They were able to start sharing, but otherwise they would have been like, oh, I'm doing fine but they're dying in pain, right? And so I think it's, it's just, a, it, it's one, and it's not that we don't like going to the doctor. We do, because in our countries, we do go to the doctor. Sure. It's the accessibility piece yeah. that's an issue, right? Like right. there's different barriers that we have to cross in order to go see a doctor. Mm -hmm. And some of those, just what you've described are really sort of hard-coded cultural barriers that exist within your own cultural group, right? Um, it, it's, it, I think, I suspect it was probably liberating for you to realize that this was a shared experience for you, not an isolated experience for you. Right? I mean, I thought I was, you know, like, it was just me, but then it was like multiple people. Like I, and I heard it over and over and I see it over and over. Right. That they avoid going to the doctor. They wait until they can absolutely wait no more with that. The issue is so unbearable, but right. then, you know, and then you also hear people say like, oh, you don't want to go to the emergency room because they're going to charge you this balloon amount sure. of, you know, but by then, because they didn't do any preventative, they have to end up in the emergency. And then you have this huge bill, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, another, just another short little experience. I had um, a student back in the day that the mom had a stroke. No one knew that it was a stroke. She did not call the ambulance. She was, they found her on, on the floor, right? This happened at nighttime, it happened. And, and the kids were there, right. but it happened. She did not wake anybody else. They found her on the floor. And when they found her, they're like, mom, we're going to take you to the hospital. And she was like, no, 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 I got to go to work. And they're like, mom, we have to take you to the hospital. No, 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 I'm going to be fine. She went to work. Half of, half of her body was not functioning, but she went to work. She worked at a farm. Um, and when she came back, it just got worse. And she was super against of going to the doctor because she was the main provider. She says, if I don't go to work, I, you know, I won't be able to provide. Yeah, so it sounds like we're sort of butting up against these, you know, social determinants of well-being and health, right? These social considerations that actually affect 80% of health outcomes, right? Because I think we know from, from studies that only about 20% of health outcomes um, in a minority population in particular are 
really influenced by the medical system. It, 80% of it is happening just as you described outside of an emergency department or outside of a hospital or within family groups, right? Perhaps even using sort of mm, folk medicine to use a term, right? right? Things that they believe are the right things to do um, that will get them uh, to tomorrow or the next week, you know, absent of any, you know, conventional medical intervention, right? Right. Um, and so, you know, what you're talking about, it sounds like are really social considerations in, in some way, shape or form that, that really create a barrier, a barrier before the barrier, right? So if we have an accessibility issue, um, we have to first get past the cultural issue and so we have to first begin to create a shared understanding across our community, much like what we're hoping to do today by having this conversation. Right. Bringing light to things that we don't often think about, but have an ability to understand that exist within our communities. So how do we begin to really normalize these conversations? How do we begin to reach these populations, this fastest growing segment of the minority population in the country, in our own community. Mm -hmm. um, how do we begin to reach them to say, let's, let's help you understand what you can access. Um, let's help you understand the importance of preventative medicine, but it's more than just preventative medicine. It's seeking the care you need at the time that you need it and on the terms that are really good for you. We talk about that a lot in our own organization, uh, the care you need on the terms you choose. So how do we begin doing that? Well, I think Trent, you kind of, you, you kind of hit the, you know, the topic on the nail. It's, we have to have these conversations, right? So part of, you know, it doesn't matter what group we belong in, right? We have this cultural share idea that, you know, because in and, and male, and I didn't even talk about gender roles, males are even less likely to go to the doctor, right? They will say, I am fine, right? Now women, and I, and I want to I kind of retract a little bit, like if we're pregnant, like you're going to go to the doctor, whether you're an immigrant or not, you have to, you have to take care of the baby. So that's going to be done, right? But in the back of our mind, it's going to be like that, the bill, you know, all these things, the medicine, you know, et cetera. For males, they're going to wait. I mean, they could be falling apart and they're just going to put it off until the last possible minute, right? Um, and that's just across the board, period. And I'm not even talking about mental health, like that's a whole other topic right there, right? Sure. Um, but I think having, you know, the conversation as a community is understanding that, you know, yes, there are all these barriers and everything, but what, you know, like what different organizations are out there that we can partner up and say, hey, you know, let's do, you know, a conversation. Let's reach out to like the Latino population. You know, let's have conversations in Spanish or have materials that are easily, that easy to read because within, you know, I, I, there's different levels, you know, you have people with different education levels that are easy to read, that are understandable. You know, let's not use this huge language, right? Um, and let's educate. It comes down to education. It comes down to um, even if, if you, your friends, with the Latino population, regardless of what group they belong to, mm -hmm. you know, I tell people, share your experience, right? Um, not from like, oh, well, I can go to the doctor and I did this or that, but say like, you know what? 
I was dealing with a migraine for days. I finally decided to go to the doctor and gosh, I'm so glad that I went because now I got some relief or whatever the case may be. Sometimes you have to lead by example, right? Yeah. And, and so it sounds like what you're talking about is really inspiring people within the Latino community to share their own experience in an effort to sort of begin to build trust. So we, there, there are two parts to that, right? We, perhaps as an organization, um, as we begin working with you all at the Latino Family Center, um, we are beginning to understand what the needs are, right? That's one part of it. And then the other part of it is inspiring people within your own community to talk about their experience um, in, an, in an effort to build some common thoughts of trust that you shouldn't be afraid that right. they're, they're not going to uh, judge you for your immigration status. They're not going to right. judge you because you have a, a language deficit. Um, they're, they're, they actually have resources to be able to help support you with that. And I, I think it sounds like it's sort of two, it, those two things have to work in tandem. Um, I think organizations like ours and uh, Hospice of the Piedmont and Hospice of the Randolph have to be willing to say, we understand. We may not have an ability, we may not have had the same life or shared experience that you have had, but we have an, we, we have an ability to be empathetic to those same considerations. And we have tools in our toolkit that are you know, really important for people to be able to access independent of cost. Right. independent of immigration status, independent of language proficiency. Thank you for joining us for part one of our discussion, exploring our community, identifying health disparities between Trent and Giselle. Join us next time as we conclude this conversation, exploring health disparities specific to the Latino community and common concerns related to healthcare accessibility. Until then, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series.